Good morning. This week we are discussing Parshas Chaye Sarah. It is the year 2023, and the title for today's class is Influencing Public Opinion. This month, the month of Cheshvan, is anonymously sponsored in honor and with gratitude to Rosh HaYeshiva and Rav Yochanan Rebetzin Rivka Zweig for their unique contribution to Torah learning and meaningful impact to Jewish life. May our learning bring true unity, shalom, and healing to our entire Jewish family worldwide. Also, may our learning be dedicated to the safety of our IDF soldiers, to Achenu Kalbeis Yisrael, and to the immediate return of all who were kidnapped, and to the speedy comfort, comfort of all those suffering. May Hashem bring swift retribution upon all those who have perpetrated and planned evil against our people and upon their supporters. One premise for the title of today's class, Influencing Public Opinion, is that we Jews are tremendously interested in helping the world understand the truth about Jews and Judaism so that anti-Semitism will be greatly reduced and ultimately vanquished. However, as we proceed through our discussion, we will present an additional and even more important premise for this title of influencing public opinion. By now, all of us have been inundated with various statistics of the global surging of anti-Semitism and our horror continues to grow. Notwithstanding all of that, we are also, thank God, seeing many inspirational stories of both Jews and non-Jews doing amazing things, making amazing either speeches or demonstrations of support and doing fundamentally critical things to help the entire current difficult situation and war that is ongoing. Nonetheless, we are left with the question, how can so many people be so blind to the truths of authoritarianism, terrorism, evil, and genocidal intent? As Jews, in particular, we are left with the burning question, is there anything at all we can do to reverse this insanity and to help prevent evil from triumphing over good. Now let's remember that we're going to present another very important element of influencing public opinion as we proceed through our parasha discussion. One of the things that's always amazing about the Torah is what it leaves out as well as what it puts in. The opening of Parashat Chayisara is very much in line with do we really need all of these sentences describing what seems to be maybe a significant event, but to the tune of more than 15 sentences? Is it so important to describe the purchase of a burial plot for Sarah that the Torah devotes so much Torah real estate to that topic? So we're going to go through the basics in a summary way of this conversation between Avraham, the children of Ches, and Ephron towards the purchase of this real estate. 
we're just going to mention that uh, as a sort of an overview, and then we're going to go straight into five significant areas of question. So the Torah records that Sarah was 127 years old when she died. Let's remember that the last thing the Torah spoke about was Akedas Yitzchak, as well as some of the lineage from Avraham's relatives through his niece Milka and their descendants, which included Rivka. That's the backdrop to our parsha. So the Torah starts, Sarah lived 127 years, Sarah dies in a place called Kiryas Arba, which is actually Hebron, in Eretz Kanaan, and Avraham came to eulogize and to cry for Sarah. Then Avraham gets up, and he declares to the children of Chay, saying, Ger I am a stranger, a sojourner, that's what Ger means, Soshav, and a dweller, or a person who resides, a resident with you, give me a burial portion with you, and I will bury my dead person from in front of me. So the children of Ches answer him, listen, you are a prince of God in our midst. In our choicest burial plot, you shall choose to bury your dead. Nobody will withhold a grave from you. Avraham gets up, he prostrates to the people of the land, to the people of Ches. He speaks to them, he says, listen, if you're willing that I should bury my my dead person, so then please give me over to Ephron, the son of Tzohar, and Ephron should give me the Ma'aras HaMachpelah, the cave that is the Machpelah, which is at the edge of his land. He should pay me, he should charge me a full price for this piece of real estate so that I can have it as a burial portion. Ephron was sitting among the children of Ches. Ephron responds, he says, no, my master, this, the field is yours. The cave is yours. I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you in front of all the people of my nation for you to bury your dead. Avraham gets up, he bows down, and he speaks to Ephron. He says, but please, if you don't mind, I'm already giving you the money. Consider it like I've already paid you. Because I, I totally want to pay you. I don't want to accept it as a gift. And then I will bury Sarah there. Ephron responds and he says, listen to me. It's uh, only 400 silver coins. That's really nothing between two people like us. Avraham hears Ephron and he counts out a full measure of money. The rabbis explain he gave him the best possible coins, way beyond what he needed to give. And that's what he paid Ephron, the type of currency that everybody would love to have. And then the Torah describes that the land became Avraham's. And after that negotiation, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, and this became a purchase place of a burial from the people of Ches. That's what the Torah says. And as I said before, it's a lot of sentences. It's almost 20 sentences. And the question that we started with is, what is the importance of this story that the Torah gives it so much real estate? So that's one of our five areas of question. Additionally, I mentioned that we had the Akedah, which is an incredible and fundamental watershed moment in our history. Why do we find no clear connection between the events of the Akedah and Sarah in the scriptural text? That means to say that even though, as we'll talk about at the end of these questions, that the rabbis tell us that Sarah heard that Yitzchak was almost shafted and that Sarah died, the Psukim don't say that. That's not explicit in text. There's a juxtapositioning of the story of the Akedah, the birth of Rivka with the death of Sarah. But the Torah doesn't 
clearly draw that connection in any overt way. But more than that, we don't even know that Avraham tells Sarah that he's going to bury, they're going to Shech Yitzchak. That's astonishing. So why is there no clear connection in the text between the events of the Akedah and the death of Sarah, and even Sarah when she's alive in the text? Next question. We'll call it question number three. Why does the burial of Sarah become the first burial mentioned in the Torah? There's literally scores of people that were righteous people that already died, and the Torah tells us nothing of their burial. For example, Noah. Noah has already passed on at this point. The Torah makes no mention of the burial of Noah. Why not? We have Mesushelach, where the Torah seems to allude to the fact that he died, but there's no mention of his burial. So there's clearly very righteous people that have passed on, and the Torah tells us nothing of the burial, including Adam and Chava, which, according to the rabbis, they are buried in the Ma'aras HaMachpelu. But from what we see in the Torah, in the simple reading of the text, it's only Sarah that we find out initially is buried in the Ma'aras HaMachpelu. Why is Sarah's burial the first burial mentioned in the Torah? Question number four. When Abraham is discussing his desire to bury Sarah and buy land as a burial plot, Avram presents a preamble to the children of Ches, saying, I'm a stranger, a sojourner, a settler, a dweller among you. Why is he introduced in that? Does every person who come to make a purchase of real estate give a background about their citizenship and their history? Just say, I'm interested in buying a piece of land. He doesn't even need to say that it's for a burial portion. Why is Avraham making this such a complicated story. I'm a ger or I'm a toshav, according to Rashi. He's saying, you know, really, you should sell it to me. Maybe I could take it because I inherited the land. However you understand the simple meaning of the text, the bottom line is, is that it's irrelevant to the fact that he's trying to buy a piece of real estate. We don't see in general that when any of our forefathers buyed, uh, bought uh, real estate or other assets, that it was a complex negotiation. Either they could buy it or they couldn't buy it. Now, even in the purchase of Shechem that uh, uh, that the Yaakov of Yenu buys there, that the Torah tells us about it, we don't have such an introduction. And in general, why would it, he doesn't even say why he bought it uh, by, by Yaakov of Yenu. So why is it all necessary to um, mention you know, the fact that he's a Ger and what he's buying the land for, seemingly that's all irrelevant to the fact that Avraham simply is asking if he can buy a piece of land. Keep it simple. And finally, the fifth area of question is, according to Rashi, like you mentioned, Sarah dies upon hearing that Yitzchak is about to be slaughtered. So if we go with that understanding of Hazal, why should this, in fact, be the end of Sarah. Why should this news kill her? Why should divine providence cause her death in this fashion? Why does Avraham not communicate directly with Sarah the commandment of the Akedah? And what, in fact, bottom line, is the main message that the Torah is teaching about all of this? So, for example, I think most of us think, you know, 
Sarah dies because, you know, Sarah was waiting so long for Yitzchak because she davened. She was living to have Yitzchak as a son, and now he's about to that he's about to die, so so it just killed her. It's, such a news was just literally so horrifying to her that she just died. It, it killed her, literally killed her, because she couldn't handle the fact that her special son Yitzchak was going to die. Okay, and the message is that she really loved him. We wouldn't have assumed that Sarah really loves Yitzchak if we don't know that she dies because of this. Well, what's the message? What, what's the new point that the Torah is telling us here? Is the new point the Torah telling us that, you know, next time a person plans to slaughter their son at the, you know, Hashem's command, maybe the husband really should tell the wife and give her a heads up that, that that's the message? Like, what what is the point? Are we supposed to really believe that Abraham did not tell Sarah? And how could we explain that? So all of this is a really big area of question to understand this Chazal in a, in, a, in a cogent and hopefully more profound way. So I'd like to begin, uh, actually, maybe just uh, let me do a real quick recap on the questions. Why do we find no clear, clear connection between the events of the Akedah and Sarah in the text? Why is the burial of Sarah the first mention in the Torah of any person's burial? Why does this burial of Sarah garner so much Torah real estate? Right? Why does Abraham make this such a public spectacle? He makes it like a whole citywide you know, demonstration that he's looking for a piece of real estate. Why does Abraham present this preamble of he's a stranger and a settler among them? Why not simply ask to buy the land? And according to Chazal, Rashi, that Rashi brings that Sarah dies when she hears that Yitzchak is about to be slaughtered. Why should this kill her? Why would the Hashkacha, divine providence, cause her to die in this fashion? Why does Abraham seemingly not communicate communicate directly with Sarah the commandment of the Akedah? And what is the main message the Torah is teaching us with all of this story about Sarah and her hearing that Yitzchak is almost getting killed and dying? So I'd like to begin with understanding a major truth of Abraham and Sarah that is at the heart of our title today. What we are interested in today is the fact that Jews are being demeaned and attacked and terrorized and somehow other people of the world are supporting this and we can't understand why and we're getting scared and we want to know if there's anything we can do. One thing we have to recognize very clearly about Avraham and Sarah is that they were global influencers, not only in their lifetime, but to the tune of today, there being approximately half of the world population as monotheists. That's a direct result of the works of Avraham and Sarah combined. There's no question about that. Nobody denies that. The Islamic religion sees Avraham as a hero and the Old Testament as having a lot of truth to it. And certainly Christianity accepts the, what they call the Old Testament in large parts, even though they reject many major uh, central themes of what they call the Old Testament and we call the Torah. But at the net result, end of the day, is that more than half of the world, according to their religious affiliation, is a monotheistic religion. And that's directly because of Abraham and Sarah's work. So what behooves us to explore is how do Avraham and Sarah become the global influencers of their time? And in addition for 
the far-reaching effects of the future that we still experience today? And what is that there for, for all of their descendants in terms of what we can do to influence the world of public opinion? So we need to recognize that the genesis of Abraham and Sarah becoming these global influencers is with their initial travel from Ur Kasdim to Eretz Kena'an with Avraham's father Terach and their stopover in Haran. I want to repeat that. The beginning of the Avraham and Sarah's story is the leaving from Ur Kasdim, traveling to Eretz Kena'an, but stopping off in Haran and then accomplishing in Haran that famous phrase at the beginning of Parshas Lechacha that when they left to go on the Lechacha journey, they took with them the souls that they made in Haran. That's the beginning of the Avraham and Sarah story. As a result of the work that according to the Gemara was 23 years of work, that means for 23 years, Avraham and Sarah were working on influencing the people of Haran or whoever came to Haran to be influenced by them. For 23 years, they were working on helping those people understand the truth of Hashem's existence and causing them fundamental transformation to the point that these people were considered new people, new souls. The souls that Avraham and Sarah made in Haran is what the text says, which means that the teaching that Avraham and Sarah did of these people radically changed these people into new people. They became new souls. These are the souls that Avraham and Sarah made in Haran, but they were on their way to Eretz Canaan. Fundamental point. Why were they traveling to Eretz Canaan? What is the significance of that? Well, we know that one of the major kings of Eretz Canaan is Malki Tzedek. Now, whether or not you want to understand that Malki Tzedek is shame, or you want to simply understand that Malki Tzedek is the king of Shalane, which is what the text says, the bottom line is that Malki Tzedek himself was a monotheist. And the bottom line is that they were on their way to Eretz Kena'an in support of the monarchy of Malki Tzedek. That's my contention. Because that part's not explicit, but we do see that Avraham visits Malki Tzedek after that major war against the four kings, which means that Avraham acknowledges the importance of Malki Tzedek and has some allegiance to him. It's a friendly meeting, despite the fact that Avraham slaughtered many, if not thousands, of shame Malki Tzedek's descendants, which is a major instructive point about what's happening in the world today. Shame understood the truth of Hashem being king, and Shame or Malki Tzedek understood the truth of who his descendants were, and the meeting between Avraham and Malki Tzedek was one where Hashem was blessed because this evil that existed in the form of the regime of these four kings was destroyed. Malki Tzedek greets him with bread and wine in a meal of celebration, acknowledging the deaths of scores of thousands and thousands of his descendants. Why? Because Malki Tzedek, like Abraham, works for the mission 
that God is the king of the world. And what makes Avraham and Sarah the global influencers that they become is that that's the mission they began when they left Ur Kazdim to go to Eretz Kina'an. They continued it in Haran. How? How did they continue that mission? By being passive observers of the world? By being insular and saying, oh, we have to run away from all these negative influences. Oh, we can't talk to people who don't think the way we are. Or by proactively teaching and showing the truth of Hashem's existence and inspiring people to such an extent and taking care of them and showing them the truth of who Hashem is and transforming them. And then when they did that for 20 plus years, Hashem said to them, you will be blessed. You will be famous. You will go to the land that I will show you. And all those that bless you will be blessed. And all those that curse you will be cursed. And it's through you that the families of the world will become blessed. And then they continued that mission for the rest of their lives. So that is first major point. Avraham and Sarah lived with the responsibility and the mission to restore the clear monarchy of Hashem to the world. That's reflected in what they did with the souls of Haran. That's reflected in the fact that they were in opposition to Nimrod, okay, where you see that in the text another time, and with their advocacy of Malkitzedek as king of Yerushalayim and one of the major kings of the time. So the test and the blessings of Lech Lecha demand an ongoing responsibility of Avraham and Sarah, and this is very important, to be public figures, declaring the uniqueness of their mission, to spread all of this truth that they were teaching all these people to the entire world. Therefore, they cannot fly under the radar in Egypt, in Avimelech land, in the Philistine land, what we call today Gaza, or elsewhere. And interestingly, Sarah's beauty would also not allow for them to fly under the radar. It was literally not able to be ignored. So there was a fact of Avraham and Sarah occupying a lot of attention and they needed to take center stage and they weren't just allowed to avoid the wicked people in the world and not present their messages to the world. In addition to that, we find that Avraham makes strategic alliances with Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre. So where Avraham can find support and friendship, he does. And the rabbis tell us very clearly about the friendships of Aner, Eshkel, and Mamre. They actually cared for Avraham. They went to battle. The Himba Alevri Savram, the Torah says they went to battle with Avraham in the war of the four kings. Avraham even made sure that they take they took their portion of the spoils of that battle. And according to the rabbis, Mamre is the one who advises Avraham to undergo the circumcision, which is why in last week's parsha, Hashem appears to Avram in the plains of Mamre. That too is part of being on the global stage. We must make strategic alliances. We need to find the friends and we must align with them. Now, Sarah is incredibly committed to this mission to the point where she accepts that it's only Avraham 
that's going to produce children, the children of the future, to carry on this legacy. That's literally what Sarah accepts. She tries for many years to have children with Abram. It doesn't work out. They try 10 years in Eretz Israel. It does not work out. She willingly gives her maidservant Hagar to have children with Abraham, knowing that she herself may or may not herself produce children from Abraham. And to her chagrin, her maidservant belittles her. Abraham has a child, and she's still not producing children with Abraham, which we find at the beginning of last week's parsha that even when the guests, the malachim come, and she hears that Sarah will have a child, she scoffs, she laughs, she refuses to accept the truth of the fact that she will have children. Now, a major side point, I was actually asked this question this past weekend, Shabbaton in New Jersey in Passaic, one of the questions that the question answer is, why does Hashem tattle on Sarah to Abraham and thereby create a tremendous Shalom bias problem. Ab Hashem says to, to Abraham, why is Sarah scoffing? Hashem can do anything. Why is Sarah laughing? That's what Abraham tells Sarah. Uh, I'm sorry, that's what Hashem tells Abraham about Sarah. That seems to be wrecking what we would hope was Shalom bias. But the truth is, this was basically my answer, is that Sarah herself had stopped believing that she would have a son. And Hashem was telling Abraham, Avraham, you said, you were willing to let it go that Sarah would have a son. You need to talk to her and you need to tell her that you believe and you want that even now at age 90, 89, 90, that Sarah should have a son. You need to fix your Shalom bias problem is what Hashem was saying to Avraham. And that's a very important point because one of the things that we Jews must do for each other is to encourage each other about the good news and about the promises that Hashem has made about the children that are his children, the Jewish people. When we ourselves are faltering and we ourselves are doubting what's going to happen in the future, are the Jewish people going to be decimated again? It's not enough that in the back of our minds we know, hey, look, there's going to be resurrection. And in the back of our minds, Mashiach will come. And even if it's in the front of our minds, it's not enough. We have to feel the positivity of it. We have to encourage people to continue working now harder than ever to achieving that end, rather than saying, uh-oh, it's 1930, 40, Germany all over again. Uh-oh, let's get pessimistic. Uh-oh, let's get paralyzed. Now is the time to redouble our efforts. Now is the time to focus on that we have the ability to bring about the Mashiach. We can sway and turn the tide. We need to encourage each other that by working harder now, not only in the defense of the country of Israel, which is, yes, hugely critically important on any level, both in terms of fundamental security for the Jews worldwide, both for the people in Israel and for the fact of Eretz Yisrael, but mostly because that is the promise of Hashem. That is our promised land. We need to be fighting for it on that basis because we want to bring about through our efforts that the Mashiach should come, which means we need to figure out how to, smite, how to fight harder and smarter to be able not only to turn the tide of anti-Semitism, but to fulfill the public influencing that Avraham and Sarah began. 
the reason that we must understand the realities of influencing public opinion is not to protect ourselves. It's to declare to the world that Hashem's Torah is true. Hashem exists. The promises of the Torah is true. That Eretz Yisrael is the chosen land for the chosen people and that the responsibility of the Jewish people is the Es HaNefesh Asher Asu V'charan. We have to teach the world the truth of Hashem. It's only by doing that that we are truly carrying on the legacy of Avraham and Sarah. So to be reactive because we're scared is the wrong reason, even though it would be great to not have fear. But let's not kid ourselves. Why are we in this mess? Because if we ask ourselves, if for the last 70 years, the secular Jews or the religious Jews, have we been doing the work of Let's be honest and say, no, we have not. I don't care what sector of Judaism you want to point towards. Hopefully some have succeeded better than others. But as a nation, we have drastically failed the mission of the Esan Nefesh Asher Asu V'charim. Bringing the truth of monotheism to the world, being, bringing the truth that having a relationship with Hashem is the most inspir inspirational, wonderful experience that a person could have that everybody should want to pursue. The religious Jews have been too insular and the secular Jews have been too rejecting of the truth of the Torah. We have failed. What we need to do is sway public opinion, not only so that anti-Semitism gets reduced, but primarily so that we're expressing what Hashem has given the responsibility to the Jewish people to express to the world. Segula mikal ha'amim. But there's one more thing that we need to recognize that we have failed at doing. And that's what Avraham does in this week's parsha. Why is Avraham's public burial of Sarah such a focus of his? He involves the whole people of the town. He makes it a major discussion. Number one. Avraham Avinu is establishing the eternal legacy of the Jewish people, beginning with their first mother. Sarah is our first mother. And we Jews need to understand the origins of being Hashem's covenantal nation. But it's both for Jews and non-Jews to know. And the truth of burial is that Burial is not about being finished. It's about establishing permanent relevance from the past to the future. We have burial places and we have matsevos, not because we're putting people to rest and letting them go on their journey, but because they're an integral part of who we are today. Burial is not because it was in the past and goodbye. Burial is about it was in the past, but it's establishing who we are today and our ongoing purpose and ultimately our legacy. That has to be a major, major declaration in the Torah and the first person to get buried that is absolutely critical to the world that was and to the world today is Sarah. Avraham follows suit. 
the forefathers follow suit, the other mothers also. But that is what this major declaration of the Ma'aras HaMachpela is all about. Says Avraham Avinu, I'm a part of you, people of Ches, I'm not a part of you, it doesn't matter. The end result is you need to know, and my descendants need to know, that the burial of Sarah is of major significance for all time. But here's one other point, and let nobody say I Jewed anybody. 400 of the best coins he's going to give it to me. I don't want anything. It has to be 100% above board. It has to be 100% clear. It has to be completely incontestable that the legacy that we are establishing is not only legitimate, but it's the way a Jew acts. It's the way a messenger, an emissary, a Nesia Lokim, a prince of God behaves. And if we ask ourselves for the last 70 years, have we as a Jewish nation acted in irreproachable manners in morality and in business, what's the sad, sad, tragic truth? No. And we want to know why global anti-Semitism is on the rise. Of course, of course, don't get me wrong, there are haters that will always hate. They have it in their DNA. We can discuss another time about Esau and Yishmael, and that's all very important. But it doesn't change the fact that we have not done our job. And so therefore, the Torah comes to tell us that the truth of who Avraham and Sarah are is 100% being reflected in this purchase of the Ma'ara Samachbelu. We have to establish the eternal legacy of the Jewish people, beginning with their first mother. We have to declare that burial is not about being finished. It's about establishing permanent relevance. And we have to declare the morality and fairness of the business dealings of Hashem's people. And one final point, and then we'll get to questions and comments, is that one other thing that we Jewish people have to know as individuals of this chosen nation of Hashem is that we all have our role and our import importance in the contribution of this ultimate goal of our nation. And everybody plays and should play a major role in that outcome Everybody has to understand what their role is, find it, attack their role, accomplish it. You also have to know when your role is over. And the simple reading of the sentences from last week to this week is that as soon as Yitzchak is offered as an offering, whether or not he ends up dying as a result of the test of the Akedah, is that Sarah's role is finished. Her mission is over. And the idea behind Chazal telling us that she heard that Yitzchak was almost slaughtered and she died, yeah, sure, a person could read it that she died of heartache. A person could read it that uh, she, she just no longer wanted to be in this world. I choose to read it as she understood her job was done. She knew she didn't, wouldn't necessarily know the outcome of Yitzchak, but she understood she brought Yitzchak to the level and Avraham to the level of carrying out the word of Hashem to such an extent that they're able to do that test, she did the most any wife and any mother could possibly do for her husband and for her son. And she herself was able to understand that her role was over. And so therefore the Hashgacha brings about the fact that she dies at this point no matter how you learn, with Chazal, without Chazal, the Pesukim are saying, 
her mission is complete at this point and her burial in such a magnificent public manner for the purposes of establishing her permanent legacy is the ultimate testimony that Sarah did her mission. And that is a major, major lesson for all of us as well. We need to understand that the goal of all the things that we are fighting for, and by this I mean the IDF, all the people that are sacrificing their lives on a daily basis in Eretz Yisrael, all the Jews that now are motivated and activated in all their important work in the world today, it's not about safety for ourselves or for the next generation. Sure, we want that. But much more important than that is to give us the opportunity to fulfill our mission as a Jewish nation in this world. And what we have to do as a Jewish nation in this world is advocate the truth of Hashem's existence, inspire people to have a relationship with Him, show the nations of the world that we, the chosen nation of Hashem, act as His emissaries in the world to bring this truth, to bring this inspiration, and to demonstrate how business should be done ethically and morally. And then when the world is inspired, we have done our job and Mashiach can come. And so with all this in mind, I think we understand a lot more about the entire storyline of the Akedah, as well as the burial of Sarah and how critically important it is. And hopefully we begin to ask ourselves, in what way am I today furthering the true mission of the Jewish nation? Not only how am I fighting against terrorism, not only what am I doing to support and show love for Achenu Kolbeis And that's hugely important. Please don't mishear me. I'm not minimizing that. But all of that is still not our main mission. Our main mission is how am I truly bringing the name of Hashem to this world, demonstrating how the emissary of Hashem acts. And I just want to leave it with this one final thought. One of the things that I'm personally terrified about, you know, God willing, you know, we'll see improvement on the anti-Semitism front, on the America support front, and the reduction of these horror, horrible incidents that have been occurring. God will. But I'm personally terrified about the Jew that takes matters into his own hands and starts shooting. I'm very worried about that. I'm not saying, God forbid, that we shouldn't defend ourselves. We absolutely have to. But we have to be so careful. Just like Yaakov Avinu was bothered when he was confronting Esav, the rabbis say Yaakov was bothered that he would have to kill Esav for his people. We have to be bothered about that too. Now, again, I know the IDF, they go above and beyond and we think maybe too much. But I'm talking about the Jews around the world, not in the context of the military war. We have to be supremely careful how we are comporting ourselves and what our actions are going to be looked at later. We have to bear that in mind, especially because we are on the global stage and we are at the epicenter of influencing public opinion. Questions or comments? Yeah. Eva, can I say something? Okay. Pleasure. Yeah. You want to say something? Yes. I mean, as usual, okay. you, you've answered. Uh, I, uh, <clears throat> A very difficult question I always had 
at the end of Bracious, we have Yaakov Avinu speaking to Yosef, and he goes off into this whole discussion that, uh, you know, I'm going to be buried, and uh, you got to bury me in a Morash, and Hello? Yeah. Why does he have to say that? You're right. So basically, your point, your two points that you're making is the legacy, which is the ending of Bracious here, and also the ethical point that he says, I bought, why do I have to know he bought it from Ephron? Why is Ephron, it's not the point of Ephron, the point is that he bought it from Ephron. That's the point you're making. Yes. Yes, excellent. Thank you. Yeah, beautiful. Anyone else with a question or comments? And while we're maybe waiting for one second, um, let me ask my mother if my father is sitting in class today. The answer is yes. Awesome. So everybody, please zoom over in a few minutes. Any other questions or comments today? What was your father's shear? 1015 or 1030? Um, let's see. Mommy, when when is up? Maybe we should do it in a couple minutes, in two minutes. Daphne, you want to say something? I did. I'm just having trouble with my... Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. So after Daphne's comment, everybody, sh I think, will end, and everybody should uh, go over to my father. Go ahead, Daphne, please. Okay. I'm so grateful, again, for your sheer and to hear um, you say some of the things that you said. I want to tell you a difficulty that I'm having in my communities when I am trying to explain that it's not just Jews that are being attacked, that it's human decency that is being attacked. And the reactions I get from, from fellow Jews, uh, some of them have been despicable. So I, I need help in trying to find a way to explain this better, like, like you did today, that it's not just Jews that are being attacked here. Um, so maybe you can privately give me some counseling on this, or if you have any response to this now, I would really appreciate it. 100%, um, both, if you like. So first of all, I would reference what we spoke about last week from Mahmoud al-Zahar and his quote about the entire world being under Islamic uh, rule and there will be no more Zionism, no more treachery, no more, no more treacherous uh, Christians. It's very clear that it's a, a global conquest. Uh, secondly, I did uh, a five-minute video on this topic a couple of weeks ago. If you need it, uh, I can find it and send it to you, but it's it's on our chats, I think. Um, third of all, you know, I'll, I'll put it to you very simply. Uh, I recently did a Bible class in, in uh, Pennsylvania with a group of Methodist, uh, um, United Methodists, and the question that I got was, what instigated this recent attack? What precipitated it? What, what, why, why did they do this now? And I looked at them and said, you can't really look at 300 miles of tunnels that contain factories of munitions as being instigated now. That's just not the case. It's just not possible. Which means you have to understand that there's a fundamental issue, hatred, design plan, of killing and targeting Jews that doesn't depend on a specific motivating cause. Now, whether or not you wanna get into the whole Palestinian discussion is another subject, but just very simply, this is not something that just happened. 
And so we need to understand why this is happening. And that does lead to a much larger um, discussion about good and evil in the world. And yes, that is what people need to understand, that ultimately the messages that Jews are presenting is that that good must triumph over evil. That is true. And so if you like, I'll send you the 2017 uh, Oxford speech on Semitism and you'll see that. Yes, absolutely. I, I had I think I listened to the, the talks that you gave last week, the five minute. Where were you? Were you addressing an interfaith group or a church group? Were you a church group? That's wonderful. And that's what I would like to encourage a little bit more. For instance, one of the places where I frequent shares the space with a church on Sunday. And several times the pastor has come into services. And I'm I'm only trying to encourage, you know, the people in, in, in this congregation to go ahead and knit with this other group of people that's non-Jewish because they're going to support us. And well, yeah, that, that's where I'm having, you know, that's where, where you that's having where I'm having uh, reactions. Maybe people are terrified or paranoid or I don't know, but it's my thought not mine. I see that there are more than just Jews who are against the the atrocities that are occurring, and they may be part of an organized religion, or they may not even. They may even be agnostics. But those are also the people that we have to um, reach out to. Yeah. So definitely, as this class uh, is advocating, we definitely need to make much more. Um, we we need to make much more strategic approaches of platforms to disseminate truth. Yes. Uh, I have a recording of Sunday. I think if you text me later, I'll try to see if I can get it and send it to you. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Excellent. Joel, did you have a question or a comment? Yes, I did. Thanks. Hi. Okay. Sure. Uh, what do you mean? Yo. Yeah. Yo. Yeah. Hi. Oh, what? Long time to see. Shalom Aleichem. Yeah. Harwood, right? Yeah. Harwood. Yeah. Wow. Long time to see. Yeah. Um, do you see the protests? I mean, yeah, the counter, the, the protests, like the one happening in DC as, um, uh, representing the message you're trying to, uh, underscore. Cause I have a hard time. I'm conflicted about it. I don't yeah. I feel like so it's very, I, I think, I think that it, it addresses, um, elements of creating solidarity and that, um, you know, Jews can organize. And I think that there's some value in that. But it depends on what's spoken about. You know, if if messages like I spoke about are spoken, then they will be. Now, uh, somebody did pass around a video from the late uh, um, Jonathan Sachs that he did speak at an APAC convention um, in large part of the triumph of good over evil. And if that's spoken about, that will help. I don't know what's I don't know what's going to be talked about there. Okay. But okay. If, if not, then you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily endorse it. No, I would still endorse it, even though I have some questions about it. I think I would, I, I personally would still endorse it. I, I think it's important for Jews to be unafraid to gather in the the most uh, important political city in the world. Um, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, but at the same time, I do think that there are other main things that we need to be doing, which is what I'm trying to get out. Okay. All right. Okay, such a pleasure to hear from you. Hatzlach and everything. Uh, please, everyone, zoom over to my father's Zoom link. Have a great day.